This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Views expressed in the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular are those of the speaker only and do not represent those of Place to Be Nation as an entity or any other member of the network. But of course, that goes for views expressed in any other episode of this podcast as well. I have no idea what anyone on the Sports Evolution Mega Show thought of the Hunger Games. Hello listeners, I come to you today with a heavy heart. Despite my best efforts at ignoring the inevitable for the sake of my own mental well-being, there is still a presidential election looming on the horizon, far, far on the horizon in the United States. This podcast has been focused almost exclusively on pop culture thus far, but I meant for it to move between parts of culture and life in a more freeform way. There isn't even that much of a shift here, though. A, a presidential campaign isn't all too different from any other multimedia cultural production, just less entertaining and more frightful. Plus, I suppose, more relevant in a lot of ways to your life and mine and lots of people's lives around the world. Now, just a tad more than a week removed from the Iowa caucus on Monday, February 1st, the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular takes a whirlwind tour of the multitudinous reprobates who insist on continuing to run for president. Plus some Democrats. <laughs> my only guide on this journey is Scott, an observer from my own time, who appears in the form of a podcaster only I can see, but whom you will hear momentarily. What we've decided to do for the first part of this show, because I have been a little bit disconnected, I have lost track of what would be a sad, sad trivia question to be able to answer completely off the dome, which is the complete list of the dozens or so of people who have been running for president and the dozen plus, if I recall correctly, who are still running for president for some reason. And so, Scott, you are prepared to run down each and every person who, out of megalomania or something else, is still seeking high office. Yes, this is the part of the podcast where I go through the list of current presidential candidates and Glenn reacts in mounting horror. My horror's been mounting for a long time. Let's go. We'll start with the Democrats, since there's fewer of them, and I think we actually remember most of them. Of course, there's Hillary Clinton. Famed 2008 candidate who continued running for president long after she had actually lost the nomination, then declared that she was done running for president, would not be a candidate in 2016, and is now a candidate in 2016. Well, the way her 2008 campaign proceeded from about the point that it became an actual race was more and more shameful as it went on, and more and more dog whistly, and sometimes not even dog whistly. Yes. Um, that is my major problem with her this cycle, actually, are some of the things that she did after it was abundantly clear that she had already lost the 08 nomination. 
Right, but then she was fantastic as Secretary of State. She was indeed. She was incredible as Secretary of State. If I could, if I could vote for Secretary of State Clinton, I would be there with bells on. But 2008 candidate Clinton, I have no interest. I think 2016 candidate Clinton is a little closer to Secretary of State Clinton than 2008 candidate or Senator Clinton. I think so. We can only hope. I hope so, yes. Plus, she doesn't have Terry McAuliffe running her campaign this time because he's governor of Virginia. Who's running her campaign this time? I don't know. <laughs> okay, the, uh, the other major Democratic candidate is not actually a Democrat. It's former socialist, now independent senator from Vermont, Bernie Sanders. Oh, Bernie. Oh, mm, yeah. Feel the burn. Yeah, oof. Bernie is a quandary. Bernie's a real quandary. I, I feel like I like Bernie a lot more than I like anyone who likes Bernie. Oh, oh yes. The so, worst thing about Bernie Sanders are some of his supporters. So many of them are so, so horrible. Now, I, I believe that Sanders has gotten better on race questions since last summer when he had a whole string of shameful incidents. There was there was the time when uh, Black Lives Matter protesters interrupted an appearance, I think it was at Netroots Nation, and he was dismissive and just did not understand what they were doing at all. He had several incidents where he was... He did not appreciate them interrupting events, but then he, he would always meet with people afterwards. He started doing that after the first couple of times, I think. So, I don't know if that was as much he was dismissive of the issue, or if he was more just annoyed at the tactics. Which you can argue whether or not he's in any position to have a valid opinion of being annoyed at the tactics, but... Yeah, I really don't think he is. But I think that was more his thing, like, you know, why are you disrupting this event for all these people? We can meet in my office tomorrow. I think that was more his position than dismissing the issue itself. That was my impression, anyway. I've seen a lot of people reacting poorly to his framing of everything as a matter of economic inequality. Which, to be fair, a lot of things are a matter of economic inequality. But sometimes there are more direct ways to address it in rhetoric. I think the problem is that he sometimes gets the causality bollocked up. Yeah, a little bit. Like, it is absolutely correct that one of the large problems between racial and ethnic groups in this country is the economic inequality between racial and ethnic groups in this country. But the racism is not caused by the economic inequality. Yeah, exactly. Okay, also running for the Democratic nomination for some reason is former governor of Maryland, Martin O'Malley. Why? Because neither Hillary Clinton nor Bernie Sanders have an alliterative name? You know, there's an extent to which I can appreciate a linguistic reason for running for office, but on the presidential level, that doesn't go very far. And also, I understand he was mayor of Baltimore, too, right? Before he was governor of Maryland, he was mayor of Baltimore. Yeah. Actually, my first job that I had... Well, not my first job, because I, I worked at Aunt Marion's restaurant and I did some work for Dad, but... The first job I had where I wasn't working for a family member, I was doing telephone, not telemarketing, but like telephone polls and stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of the polls that I did was polling the Baltimore mayor's race with Martin O'Malley and I forget who he was running against. 
But I was calling people in Baltimore saying, Hi, I'm from Maryland Pollsters. Who are you going to vote for? Martin O'Malley or the other guy? You were Who are you going to vote for for mayor of Baltimore? Tell me. Tell me. Tell me! You were working in Connecticut calling people in Baltimore, polling them about Martin O'Malley. Yes. Which, which, which is, I mean, of course that's how politics works, but I think it's worth pointing out sometimes that that's how politics works. Uh, for a very short time in December, January 2008, I was helping out a friend of mine who was working for Chris Dodd's presidential campaign. And so I would go to some office they rented in Connecticut and call people in Iowa. <laughs> uh, which which I, only did, I only did a couple of times, mostly to be nice to my friend, but... Uh, well, I mean, I actually was kind of verved up over Chris Dodd for a while, but that is is beyond not worth covering on the podcast, really. That, that, it's, that was... it's odd going through the history of who are you supporting in each race as candidates drop out, and you have to choose amongst the remainder. Oh, God, I was so... I mean, at various points in, 2000, in the 2008 election cycle, starting in, like, December 2005... Or no, 2006. It was, it was right after the 06 election. So starting in like December 06 and then running through the 08 primaries, I probably supported five or six different candidates along the way. Some of which never ran, probably. So at least one of which never ran, because in December 06, I was a supporter of Russ Feingold. He never ran. I ran out of patience with Russ Feingold. Well, yes, but this was, remember, this was 06. This was before most people ran out of patience with Russ yeah, Feingold. Yeah, yeah, right. I, I, didn't real, I didn't completely run out of patience with Russ Feingold until after oh, President wait. Obama was in office. Yeah. And he was grandstanding over stuff they needed to pass. I don't even remember the sequence. I think at some point I supported Dodd. I think after Feingold decided he wasn't going to run and Dodd announced he was running, I supported Dodd because the centerpiece of Dodd's campaign at that point was a law called the Restoring the Constitution Act. Which I liked. The FISA court. He was all about FISA. And then, uh... I think I supported Bill Richardson at one point. Really? I might have. I don't know. I remember I liked him. He drew a beard. That was cool. Yeah, sure, but like, what was he about? I don't know. It was a long time ago. I think okay. I supported John Edwards for a hot minute before he then dropped out, and then I was left basically choosing between Clinton and Obama. I remember for a very brief time after Dodd dropped out... <laughs> I figured, screw them both, I'm still voting for Dodd. Because he had already gotten on the Connecticut ballot. That was my position for a while before I decided, well, let me vote for one of the people that actually has a chance to win. Yeah, before the campaign wore on to a point where the Connecticut primary actually meant something. I mean, the candidates did actual appearances in Connecticut. Yes, they did. Which is amazing for a presidential campaign. This is all more interesting than a discussion of Martin O'Malley, so let's move on. Before we get into other Democrats who are no longer running, can I just say that between Hillary Clinton and Bernie and Martin O'Malley, like, this is the worst game of fuck, Mary kill ever. <laughs> Instead of actually playing that game, I insist that we move on. Well, I was just going to say that the Democratic primary is actually a lot more Democratic now, even with independent former socialist Bernie Sanders involved. Because the two major candidates that have dropped out so far are former Republican Lincoln Chafee and former Republican Jim Webb. So at least now a majority of the candidates are in fact Democrats. And actually the most Democratic of the candidates is arguably the Socialist. 
Yeah, that's definitely arguable. I don't understand why some people run for president. Lincoln Chafee is not going to be president. Lincoln Chafee is not even going to be vice president. No. Do you want to talk about vice president? What do you have to say about vice president? I was just wondering what you think. Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders? One of them's going to win the nomination. Hillary Clinton, who do you think would be her vice presidential candidate list? Oh, God. Terry McAuliffe? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I really, I really have no idea. You know who might be a good vice president for uh, for a, a potential President Clinton? Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama would be great anywhere. Michelle Obama might be a better president. <laughs> yes, I, I'd vote for her. Yeah. What about Bernie Sanders? Any idea who he'd pick as vice president? I have no idea. Do you think maybe for the sake of the multimedia marketing campaign, he would pick someone a little less shouty? Yeah, independent socialists don't exactly have a coterie of political hangers-on he could pick from. Not a really deep bench? No. That's been one mark that people have had against Sanders in terms of running for the Democratic nomination, is that because he's an independent socialist, he doesn't raise a dime for the party or the uh, House campaign committee or the Senate campaign committee because... He's not in the party. Yeah, technically. <laughs> Except, geez, who else's nomination is he going to run for? Who are the Greens running? Is, oh, is Jill Stein running again? Yes. This site lists two candidates for the Green Party nomination, Jill Stein and Daryl Cherney. I've never heard of Daryl, and I've only heard of Jill Stein in the context of previously running for president. Well, we can get back to third parties later. You want to move on to the re Republicans? Do we have to? Well, there's so many more of them. Yeah, I think the discussion about the Republicans is going to be a little less nuanced than the, the, a couple of the ones we just had. We are fair and balanced. Sure. Looks like there are even 12 active Republican candidates, assuming none of them have dropped out between now and when we post this. Well, I assume at this point nobody's going to drop out until after Iowa happens. And after that, probably a lot of them are going to drop out. This appears to be in alphabetical order, so no account to polling averages. Uh, we have a relatively fresh name on the political scene, Jeb Bush. Jeb! Jeb Bush. You know... What do I know? It's a little amazing that W turned out to be the better campaigner. <laughs> the best one in the family, really. <laughs> you know, he, he, he had his whole hick shtick. But it came off as genuine enough to enough people. I mean, his father never came off as genuine to anybody ever in his life. And, <laughs> and, and Jeb is just doing nothing. He's just doing absolutely nothing. I think Jeb's major problem at this point is that he's trying to run in the Republican Party that his brother helped create. Like, Jeb seems to me to be much more in line with his father than his brother... You know, his father was a Republican, but he wasn't, like, crazy. And the Republican Party that George W. Bush and the people working for him, like Cheney and Karl Rove, yeah. Wolfowitz, all the preemptive war, Patriot Act, you're with us or against us, you question our nation's president in a time of war at our nation's peril... That Republican Party is too wingnut fringe for relatively sane Republicans like George H.W. Bush and Jeb Bush. 
That's been developing for like 50 years, though. I mean, that goes back through Reagan, through Nixon, well, to and, an ex- and, and the Southern strategy. To an extent, it's why H.W. Bush lost his re-election bid. Yeah. Because he made a claim that I won't raise taxes. Or he said no new taxes. And then he actually looked at the books and said, fuck, we need to raise taxes. And no matter how often he said, look, it was the only way to keep the country afloat. We had to do this. The Republican base said, no, fuck you. We'd rather have Bill Clinton. Well, a lot of them said, no, fuck you. We're going to vote for Ross Perot. Well, yes, they voted for Ross Perot, but they enabled Bill Clinton to win the election because they didn't support Bush. I suppose. No, fuck you. We'll have a crazy person with zero chance of winning the election. We'll receive 20% of the vote. Yeah, well, how much of the vote will a crazy person with no chance of getting elected win this time? I don't know. Republicans tend to make at least into the 40s. Exactly. (laughs) But this sort of exclusionary, hyper-masculine, hyper-religious... Ultra-conservative stuff has been developing for decades. It just went into overdrive with the Bush administration. The second Bush administration. Yeah. And now, yeah, I I, I think you're right that Jeb Bush kind of finds himself caught up in it and can't really take advantage of it as much. But, I mean, God, how many more members of the Bush crime syndicate are we going to have to deal with? Well, George P. Bush is still waiting in the wings. Yeah, and W's daughters, too. Oh, Lord, are they going to run for things? Who knows? You know, it depends how long Barbara Bush stays alive. Because, you know, wasn't, wasn't <laughs> you know she was big and pushing her kids into office, right? You know, what, what's she doing to those grandkids? All I know about the Bush daughters was when they were arrested for underage drinking and then when one of them got a job on Extra. I suppose. I mean, I don't really know much of anything about them as people, so... Yeah, I know nothing. Yeah. Moving on. Next alphabetically is that Buffo candidate, Ben Carson. Yeah. Ben Carson, I think, shows an interesting point in that, by all indications, from what I've read, the man is a genius at neurosurgery. Yes. The, the man is a, is, is a fantastic brain surgeon. I believe he came up with, with some really imaginative method of treating some form of epilepsy. Uh, that that was fantastic, that's helped a lot of people, and that's great. Man's a genius in his line of work. Running for office is not his line of work. I, I think he shows you can be extremely adept at one thing and extremely not at another thing. And you really shouldn't spend so much of your time and energy and money in the thing that you're horrible at. Like, by all accounts, he's a brilliant surgeon, brilliant scientist, and yet he doesn't believe in dinosaurs? I I suppose he doesn't believe in dinosaurs. Maybe that's a Christian thing. I don't know. The man's a scientist. The man's a medical doctor. He's a medical doctor. He cuts people open and manipulates their body with tools. He doesn't stand there and say, no, if you break the skin, the soul will escape. Yes, true. I mean, there are all sorts of reasons to think that a person would know better. I don't understand that dichotomy in one person. How can you be that smart and that ignorant at the same time? People have a fantastic ability to compartmentalize areas of knowledge. Apparently. I mean, he he believes that the pyramids were built by the biblical Joseph to serve as grain silos. When... 
I don't know who can present him with evidence that the pyramids are not fucking hollow. <laughs> they are meticulously constructed so that so many blocks of stone can sit on top of each other for thousands and thousands of years. They are not giant hollow chambers. They have very small chambers that are meticulously planned. So meticulously planned that people think aliens did it. <laughs> While we're on Carson, I want to mention one other thing. I saw earlier today that a campaign staffer for Ben Carson, uh, Braden Joplin, died in a car accident in Iowa while transporting staff and volunteers around. And as someone with a history and a dark past in uh, campaigning, that is something that could happen to a lot more people, and I'm glad it doesn't. I mean, that's something that you hate to see. You know, someone who's, you know... That's something that, that you hate to see happen. Oh, of course. Anywho... So, next on the alphabetical list is someone else that has very little chance of winning. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. He's still running? Apparently. Why? So he can yell at people at debates? I don't know. There are so many people who yell so very much. <laughs> All the time. Everybody loves Chris Christie yelling at people, but apparently it's not enough to get him anything more than a blip in the Republican nomination race. Well, I'm at least glad that he's failing. <laughs> Christie is is like the quintessential candidate who I think is just sticking it out to Iowa and then he'll get nothing and then all the money will just fall away. He's getting money now? He must be if his campaign is still running. He's got to pay the bills somehow. Hmm. Unless he's just going to short all his staffers, which is something else that as a former campaign staffer, uh, I think happens a little more than people realize. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there's a reason why whenever I was on a campaign, when you're given a check, you uh, run, not walk, to the nearest bank to cash that thing. Chris Christie even looks disappointed in this picture on Wikipedia. He just, he, he just looks sad and angry. Oh, well, maybe a bridge managed to open. Should I describe these people's pictures on Wikipedia? If it's funny. Because uh, Je Jeb Bush just looks like really, really smugly pleased with himself. And Ben Carson looks like... Strong and determined. It's actually a really good shot for a campaign. He, that's the kind of headshot you put on your flyer that Ben Carson has here on Wikipedia. And uh, Chris Christie looks sort of sad and angry. And our next candidate, Ted Cruz, looks like he's taking a dump while the picture is being taken. He has that sort of... Uh, kind of look on his face. Ted Cruz is the quintessential child of immigrants who doesn't want there to be any immigration, right? Well, that's actually interesting because there is um, some debate whether Ted Cruz is actually a child of immigrants or if he is himself an immigrant. Oh, p please. There's the new birther thing, but le let's not give it any more credence than the old birther thing. Well, I don't know all the facts of that, so I don't really know. I mean, I know he was born in Canada and at least one of his parents was a U.S. citizen. But I don't know if they were mainly living in the United States or only in Canada for a year or two, or if they've been living in Canada for 12 years and it renounced to U.S. citizenship. I don't know any of the facts around that. Yeah, that's not something the details of which I'm really going to care about. I think it's interesting to compare because remember there was some discussion around John McCain because he was born in the Panama Canal Zone while his father was stationed there in the Navy. And the whole Senate stood up and passed a resolution, I think it was unanimous, 
but the whole Senate passed a resolution saying, you know, he was born to active duty military personnel, he was born on a U.S. military installation, therefore he is a naturally born citizen and he can run for president. The whole Senate passed that bill. I think Senators Obama and Clinton co-sponsored it. They couldn't fall over themselves fast enough to stand up in support of John McCain's right to run for president. Ted Cruz, everyone's kind of sniping at him saying, well, we don't know, we really need to look into it. There is no Senate resolution to support him. Even the Republicans don't like him. Yeah, where's the Senate resolution reaffirming President Obama's citizenship? Well, well, that's different. He's black. Mm, okay. You're not going to see Senators McCain and McConnell co-sponsoring a bill saying, look, all this speculation about Obama's citizenship is ridiculous. The way you saw Senators Clinton and Obama co-sponsoring a bill about McCain. I'm not going to care about any birther nonsense about anyone. I'm just not. Well, I think you can't, you can't do that. What do you mean? You can't say that absolute because there may be a legitimate concern about people. What if, what if Arnold Schwarzenegger tries to run for president? Are you going to say, well, stop this birther nonsense and just let him on the ballot? If someone who happened not to be born in the U.S. was a real, viable, reasonable candidate, I don't think that should prevent them from running. Well, the Constitution Of course, that would require a constitutional amendment. I was going to say, the Constitution disagrees with you. There are several things which... I, I would like to have taken out of the Constitution, and several of them of higher priority than that. By the way, I would support that Constitution Amendment. I've, often, I've long thought it would be a great change to say, instead of saying the president has to be 35 years old and a natural-born citizen, how about you change that to say the president must have been a U.S. citizen for 35 years? Yeah, the... Therefore, if you're born here, then you start counting from the moment of your birth, and if you're an immigrant, well, if you've lived here as a citizen for 35 years... Let the voters decide. Yeah. I think that would be a fine change. Yeah, the concerns that led to that being written into the Constitution were about, like, royalist Britons yeah. trying to run for president of the new United States, right? <laughs> that is something that is not a concern, and I don't think there's any valid concern about uh, expats or immigrants, whatever term you want to use, trying to run for high office. I, 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 don't, I don't think that's really a concern to have in this day and age. But nonetheless, it is in the Constitution you have to be a natural-born citizen, and so... It is in the Constitution, yeah. If so somebody that, so, was actually born outside the United States, I think it's a natural question to ask to investigate to see whether or not they were in fact born a U.S. citizen. That seems a very simple thing. You know, aren't, aren't the citizenship requirements pretty clear-cut? If, if at least one of your parents is a citizen, you're a citizen. If you're born within the U.S., you're a citizen. How much more complicated does it get? The laws have been kind of fucked up over the years. There okay. was that whole thing around Obama's birth that said that if you're born outside the U.S., then your parent must be a U.S. citizen and must have lived in the United States for at least five years past a particular age. And because Ann Dunham was such a young mother, she would not have qualified. So if, in fact, Obama had been born overseas, he would not have gained citizenship at birth because his mother was too young. That law was in effect for a while, and then it was changed. These things have changed over the years as new laws have been passed. This is the sort of thing that, on a technical level, someone's lawyers have to hash out, but for me personally, it's a total non-issue. I just think it's kind of interesting that everyone fell over themselves for McCain, and everyone's spending most of their time sniping at Ted Cruz, because even other Republican senators hate Ted Cruz. Because there are a dozen goddamn candidates, and everyone's, you know, they're eating their own. Always fun to see. Sure. 
Anywho, shall we move on? Let's move on. Speaking of people who have no chance whatsoever of being president, former Hewlett Packard CEO Carly Fiorina. Ah, corporate power failure. Yes, she has the distinction of having murdered the Hewlett Packard Corporation, and now she wants to lead our nation. Shortly before she wanted to murder the state of California. She didn't get the chance to do that, did she? Indeed. Anything else to say about Kari Fiorita other than she was a miserable failure as CEO of Hewlett Packard? She was also a, a featured player in a bunch of bullshit that was going around about Planned Parenthood recently, right? That was she? That went some way toward uh, getting some people killed in that shooting in Colorado. I haven't been following that in detail, so... Yeah, there's some, like, bullshit video that she thought she saw. I'm not sure if it ever actually existed. Well, I know there have been over the last year or so, there have been a series of bullshit manipulated, selectively edited videos. Yeah, and she jumped on that shit hard. Because, of course, being a woman running for president in the first place, and especially being a woman running for president as a Republican, there are a lot of things that you have to put forth to try to defray expectations and criticisms that are already going to come your way. And Fiorina is really leaning into that. Anyway, I think that's all we have to say about her, right? Well, then let us move on to... um. I didn't even realize this person was running. Apparently, one of the declared candidates is former governor of Virginia, Jim Gilmore. Yeah. Next candidate, everyone's favorite religious demagogue, Mike Huckabee. The Huckster is still running? He apparently is. We've still got to deal with the goddamn Huckster? Also, I believe this picture on Wikipedia comes from approximately the 04 campaign. See, he's in contrast to Chris Christie, I think, in that uh, the Huckster lost a lot of weight before running for president, uh, particularly in 2012, I think. But Chris Christie did not. <laughs> and, and that's, you know... It's bullshit that that's an expectation put on people as well, and... That's one thing that is highly uh, unfortunate in some circles where there are plenty of jokes to make about Christie and there are plenty of reasons to criticize him. The fact that he's a fat guy is not one of them. Oh, you can make fun of him for being a fat guy. I mean, there's ways to make fun of people for being a fat guy. Uh, maybe I'm just more uncomfortable with that than you are. Maybe. The best description for Chris Christie, I think, comes from the old Billy Crystal movie, Mr. Saturday Night. Where Billy Crystal plays a stand-up comedian, I know, a stretch. And his character is doing a bit, and somebody in the audience stands up to heckle him. And it's sort of a big fat guy, and so Billy Crystal's character points him out in the audience and says, Look! It's New Jersey and pants! And that's Chris Christie! In his fat guyness and in his anger and yelling at people, everything about Chris Christie, he's New Jersey in pants. See, his anger and his yelling at people and his general emptiness of spirit is something that is extremely make-funnable. But anyway, my only point was that that is a whole aspect of the campaign that the huckster kind of circumnavigated. Also, of course, he's one of the people pushing his religion the hardest, which, if I may make a general comment on that for a, for a second, and it is my podcast, so I guess I can. Name's on the door. Name is on the door. I understand that there are, for some people, positive uses for religion in their life. 
It is a tool that some people feel betters their life or some people feel is necessary for their life, and that's fine for them. There, there are things that it does for people that are certainly great. If your religion is the thing that keeps you from drinking, good for you. When it enters the realm of public policy, get the hell out. When, when it enters the realm of my book that someone wrote a few thousand years ago says that you shouldn't do this, fuck off. When it gets into the realm of this book that I have that some people wrote a few thousand years ago, and actually the literary process of the generation of the Bible is a fantastically interesting scholarly subject, but that's not what anyone who pushes this in public policy engages in. So when someone says this book that I have that some people wrote a few thousand years ago says that this is wrong and so we need to rid it from our society, fuck off. Your religion is a great reason for you to do some things and for you to not do other things. Your religion is not any reason for me to do things or to not do other things. Yeah, basically. Anyway, that's my general theory of religion and public policy. So all the people pushing their faith so highly as sort of a shorthand for, hey, I'm a good person, just, just chaps my ass. Does it? Well, now that we've had an update on your ass, mm -hmm. the next candidate is Governor of Ohio, and I believe former Congressman, John Kasich, who in this picture on Wikipedia looks remarkably like Cancer Man from X-Files. Yeah, I think the majority of times when I've heard about him doing things was when he was being quite horrible to labor groups in Ohio. Which seems likely. Gotta prove you're a Republican bona fides. Yeah, exactly. Next. Our next candidate, and I have no idea how to describe this picture, so I'm not going to try. It's Kentucky Senator Rand Paul. You know all about Rand, don't you? The Aqua Buddha himself. <laughs> I had forgotten that. Oh, Lord. Yes, indeed. <laughs> the man named Rand, which really says it all in a way. <laughs> The, the libertarian-ish posturing, the suckering in of otherwise well-intentioned people. It's just sad. It's sad that there's another generation of Pauls that we're going to have libertarian posturers and otherwise well-intentioned people nattering on about, possibly for decades to come. Oh, Ron never made it into the Senate. Rand is a senator. Woody do. Our next candidate, who in this picture on Wikipedia looks like a high school sophomore on picture day, is Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio, who recently has been getting hit by a lot of the hyper-masculine posturing because apparently he wore, like, a pair of shoes that weren't, like, cowboy boots or something. The horror... Yeah, like, he had some sensible, small-heeled, but still heeled men's shoes, and... Don't all, all men's shoes have a little, like, inch or two heel? Not an inch or two, but half an inch, maybe? I don't know, it was, it was... It was too much of a heel for, for all the real men's men. Ugh. As if cowboy boots aren't the highest-heeled men's shoes ever. I don't know about ever. You look at some paintings of the French courts. Okay, not ever. 
<laughs> you know, back when the high heels were invented for men. Yeah. But then women started wearing them, and so a, a man can't wear them. So, so yeah, Rubio's been getting hit by people who believe in the word man cave. He's not enough of a man did it. Fuck you. <laughs> oh. You know, how, you know how he can increase his man cred? Start spelling Marco with a K instead of a C. It looks more manly. Like Marco Ramius. That's a real man. Like Marco Smolitsis? <laughs> but yeah, aside from that little bit of campaign posturing, he's basically your standard issue conservative douche, right? As far as I know. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. He's really trying to cash in on the child of immigrants thing. I don't know how well it's working for him. Yeah. Uh, our next candidate, who I actually didn't know was running this time, but apparently he just can't stay away. Former senator from Pennsylvania, Prick Santorum. Still? Again. I knew he was there again. Still? Apparently. Oh, uh, well. God. Can you still Google him? <laughs> Pr- Prick Santorum, another another guy greatly flexing his religion and his hatred of me. <laughs> and the final alphabetical candidate of the 12 current active candidates. He's actually the last one. And this picture on Wikipedia, he looks as if he's in the middle of a press conference... Staring off into space, dreaming of the sandwich he's going to have for lunch. It is WWE Hall of Famer, Donald Trump. At least he's not dreaming about his daughter. Ooh. In a way, he's made for this stuff. He's he's the reality show star for what these campaigns have turned into. And what especially Republican campaigns have turned into. Although, I mean... Who would have thought... I just heard this point this morning on on the Greg Proops podcast, and it seemed very salient to me. Who would have thought that this crop of candidates, and Trump in particular, would leave us, like, almost pining for the days of mittens? (laughs) It's so cold without my mittens. Who, Who was, like... The, the quintessential corporatist Republican who wanted to funnel all the money to the richest him <laughs> and 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 is and you know all, all the richest people and all of that stuff but at least he could present himself you know at least he was slick and he could complete a sentence and he wasn't just shouting all the time I mean it's cliche by now to say that Trump is like this unfettered id but he is he just kind of screams about whatever prejudice is on his mind at the moment. And, I mean, the man is basically a fascist, right? I honestly haven't been paying enough attention to the campaign to feel comfortable starting to apply labels to him. He's, he's, his views are reprehensible his views, and insane. His, uh, maybe I shouldn't go so quickly to the F word. The, that, that F word. There's one F word I'll go quickly to, and another one I want to avoid entirely, but maybe I shouldn't go to that one quite yet. But, um... We need a better way to refer to our words. Oy. But, I mean, he's just shifted from minority group he hates to minority group he hates to minority group he hates, depending on which way the wind is blowing at any particular moment. 
and depending on what group he can try to make all the white people afraid of to try to fulfill some daddy protector fantasy. Some, like, flexing of power, again with this hyper-masculine bullshit, some flexing of power that only comes through killing people. So and he's the successor to George W. Bush? In a way, anyone who... Just by coming after George W. Bush, any Republican is going to be succeeding him in some way. Not necessarily. I mean, you could not say that Mitt Romney was continuing the Bush playbook. Well, he was placing a lot more emphasis on the kind of cold corporatist aspect of it without the, you know, religion and down-home hokiness. Trump, of course, has a little more in common there. While still being an evil corporate tycoon, there's a post that you see on Tumblr all the time saying um, Donald Trump looks like the villain of a movie in which the hero is a dog. <laughs> you know, he, he's the guy who wants to bulldoze the playground to put up condos, to put up a tower. That he'll name after himself. Uh, of course, and, and will probably go bankrupt in five years, but whatever, he'll be on to... And he'll cash out. Yeah, he'll be cashing out and on to other things. Like a frickin' presidential campaign. Any, anything he can put his name on. But it just really stands out to me the way he flits from topic to topic. Whatever he can try to make people afraid of. You know, when he started his campaign it was Mexicans, and now it's Muslims, and he wants to have a database of Muslims, and know where every Muslim is in the country. Just in case he wants to round them up. Just in case. It, it's, uh, it, uh. And he's the frontrunner. I actually watched Sarah Palin endorse Trump. Really? I actually watched her speech. You betcha. It was entirely fucking word salad. It wasn't as bad as the Paul Revere ringy dingy ringing them bells uh, <laughs> appearance. That wasn't even a speech. That was an off the cuff appearance. So different thing. But it was. It was. It was horrible. It was horrible. She still exists. She still exists. She was hitting. On, like, every tired, stupid fucking meme from 2008 and 9, she mentioned the teleprompters. Remember the teleprompters? Oh, my good lord. The only thing she didn't talk about was the fucking tire gauge. Oh, Nilly. I mean, she was talking about Obama bending over for Iran. Oh, there's a lovely sentiment. Does she realize that Trump is not running against Obama? He's actually running against other Republicans? A large part of her speech was about how the Republican establishment is trying to undermine Trump because he's representing the people. Yes. Of everyone in the race, Donald Trump is the voice of the people. Only in the Republican Party could Donald Trump be the voice of the people. She was also saying that you know, this primary cycle is not good for the Republican Party because there's all sorts of infighting going on. And the Democrats don't eat their own like this. We should be uniting behind Trump. It was, oh, God. Like, the one other thing, the one other thing I want to hit on on Trump was this whole, like, you know, make America great again. When exactly was it? Oh, it depends on what you're referring to. Although, Make America Great Again is exactly the level of nuanced, sophisticated political discourse that would seem to be right up Sarah Palin's alley. 
Oh yeah, oh, oh yeah, just a complete word salad of, you know, anti-Obama memes everyone's Aunt Julie was posting on Facebook in 2009, and Trump slogans, and just, oh my god, oh my, oh, oh, she, she hit on, um, remember clinging to their guns and religion? Oh lord. Are they still clinging to the line about clinging to their guns and religion? Yes, completely. Utterly. I know they're still clinging to their racism and xenophobia. I mean, I don't really know where else to go on it. I mean, he's abominable. Everyone's abominable. Yeah. I've gone through 12 abominable candidates, and there's five abominable candidates that have dropped out. Only five? Not like another dozen? No, apparently they only had 17. They only had 17. Yes, five candidates have already dropped out. Uh, Texas Governor Rick Perry, Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal, South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, and f- talk about people you have no clue why the fuck they decided to run for president. The biggest what-the-fuck presidential moment of this entire cycle was the morning that I heard that former New York Governor George Pataki had joined the race. How long has it been since Pataki was at all relevant in any way in any place? Since about a year before the end of his term as governor, I'd guess. Which would have been like 2004 or 5. Also, I mean, Lindsey Graham. Man, nobody likes him. Republicans don't like him. Wasn't he like John McCain's best friend? Yeah, he, he, he was in that OT3 with John McCain and Lo Gieberman. <laughs> and and I mean for for the others, I mean, they're just super, super irrelevant. Obviously. <laughs> Look at it this way. Prick Santorum and Mike Huckabee and Jim Gilmore and Carly Fiorina and Chris Christie are all still in the race. And these are the people that have dropped out. Yeah, they're so irrelevant. I don't really know what else there is to say about them. I mean, they're just just completely irrelevant. There are a remarkable number of third parties in this country that I've never heard of before. Who's running for the uh, American Communist Party? I mean, a lot of the third parties probably won't be decided yet because they're actually going to decide at their conventions. Well, yeah. So, I mean, there could be a whole swarm of people running. We've already been through the Green Party. Sure. There are two, three, four, four candidates for the Libertarian Party. Great. They get Bob Barr back. One of whom is Gary Johnson, former governor of New Mexico. Oh, God. And the other three I've never heard of before. Ooh. Publicly expressed interest. As of January 2016, the following political candidates have, within the past three months, expressed interest in running for their libertarian nomination. Jesse Ventura, former governor of Minnesota. We'll be talking about him a little more in the second part of this podcast, I feel. He, in this picture on Wikipedia, he looks like Dr. Emmett L. Brown's downtrodden brother. That's not a bad description for him, actually. (laughs) Now, other third-party candidates, or other third parties that are listed here, include the Constitution Party, the Peace and Freedom Party, America's Party, the American Freedom Party, the American Independent Party, the Nutrition Party, the Party for Socialism and Liberation, the Prohibition Party, the Veterans Party of America, Socialist Party USA, the Workers' World Party, and then there are also some independent candidates. Independent as in they couldn't get listed with the Workers' World Party or Veterans Party of America or America's Party. (laughs) 
They're not major league like those folks. I love these small party candidates because you look at the major parties and it's like 10 year governor of Wisconsin or 15 years a senator from Pennsylvania. And you look at a third party and, and it's like libertarian candidate, computer programmer and businessman. <laughs> That's his qualification. Yeah. Peace and Freedom Party candidate, Gloria LaRiva. Her prior positions are newspaper printer and activist. These are the people on, on the ballot for these smaller parties. Well, Nutri the Nutrition Party's candidate is Rod Silva. Prior position, restaurateur. Prohibition Party candidate James Hedges has previous political experience as the tax assessor for Thompson Township in Fulton County, Pennsylvania. See... I'm sure some of these people have their hearts in the right place, but I don't know what running for president accomplishes for any of them. Declared independent candidates include Zoltan Istvan. Zoltan! Zoltan Istvan, futurist, writer, and transhumanist philosopher. Futurist, writer, and transhumanist philosopher, huh? Yes. Interesting. I don't know what running for president accomplishes for that person. Declared independent candidates include Dan Bilzerian, a professional poker player. Well, there's a rich vein of metaphor. And of course, everyone's favorite candidate, who really should get all the votes. All of them? D's Nuts, a high school student from Iowa. Yes! 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 Who registered for... Which primary was it? The North Carolina primary? I think so. He, he filled out the paperwork to register as a candidate for the primary, filled out his name as D's Nuts, left the age blank, and North Carolina filed his paperwork, processed it, put him on the ballot. He started showing up in polls because he was a declared candidate. Registered in that state, he started showing up in polls. D's Nuts turned out to be a high school student from Iowa. You know... If you believe in yourself, you can do anything. <laughs> this is a remarkably complete article because it includes a section of independent candidates who withdrew from the race. Oh god, this is really the bottom of the barrel. Is this even going to make it into the podcast? In independent candidates who apparently considered running but then decided to drop out of the race include antivirus software magnate John McAfee and rapper Waka Flocka Flame. We could have had President Flame. I believe in a Flame Nuts ticket. <laughs> flame Nuts 2016! Now that we have truly, truly reached the bottom of the barrel, the, the people for whom running for president, aside from a joke, which I, I, I appreciate a good joke, running for president would... would accomplish absolutely nothing for these people. I don't know what running for president accomplishes for so many of these people, and that goes all the way up to the major parties, really, especially in some cases. But now that we have plumbed the depths of the people who, for whatever reason, feel the need to put their name up as candidates, we will hit our break and hear ads for wrestling podcasts. Thank you very much for listening this far. We will see you on the other side. And break. You seem to float onto the floor. Democratic.
at a convention 2004 I never wanted anybody more than I want you So I put down my carry sign Knew I had to make you mine Smile black and sexy, you're so fine Cause I gotta cry I'm not to to 2008 Baby, you're the best candidate I like it when you get hot on Hillary in debate Promotional consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly. Make sure you check out every episode of The Kevin Kelly Show right here on the Place to Be Nation. PlaceToBeNation.com, The Kevin Kelly Show. Every episode is a winner. At least we hope. Place to Be Nation's Justin Rosero here. In addition to The Kevin Kelly Show, we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes and PlaceToBeNation.com. You can check out Scott Criscolo and me on The Mothership, The Place to Be Podcast, with our famous Vintage Vault pay-per-view reviews. PTBN also covers current day wrestling with main event, Mission Indie Possible, and our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows with immediate feedback on WWE, NXT, and Ring of Honor Super Shows. And relive wrestling's past with our monthly pay-per-view rewind series, led by Ben Morse, and the Dangerous Alliance Wrestling Podcast as we dive into various subjects in the form of exercises and games. we got sports covered, too, with the Sports Evolution Mega Show with Scott, Dr. G, Cowboy, and Cowboy Sr., the Kings of Sport, led by Live Audio Wrestling's godfather, Nate Milton, as well as the NBA Team Podcast and the TJ McLoon Show. PTBN tackles pop culture and irreverence with Richard and the Mailman, the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, and if you like a hybrid of all of this in list form, check out Jordan Duncan's Rank and File. All of these shows are available on PlaceToBeNation.com, where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments, and more. We want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island, and Fall River, Massachusetts, and Scott Keats blog of doom be sure to follow us on facebook twitter instagram and tumblr as well placefeedation.com the only place to be in your pop culture world this is parv and i'm here to tell you to listen and subscribe to the pro wrestling only place to be nation podcast network that's the pwo ptbn podcast network where you'll find a ton of in-depth shows done by hardcore fans. We've got Chris Zellner's one-two punch of Exile on Bad Street and with David Bickenspan, a smash hit between the sheets. We've got Wrestling Culture with Dylan Hales and Dave Musgrave, Goodwill Wrestling and the reaction shows with Good Old Will from Texas. we got This Week in Wrestling with my man Pete and Johnny Sorrow. Stephen Graham and Tim Livingston's Pro Wrestling Super Show. Tag Team's back again with Kelly and Marty Sleaze. And a ton of other great shows too. And of course, there's Titans of Wrestling and Where the Big Boys Play with yours truly and some dude from down south called Chad. PWO, PTBN, Podcast Network. Joe Lieberman, he's not flashy, but he's good. He's the best president for your neighborhood. So tell all of your friends to go make up their minds. He's got the longest name on the ballot. It's the easiest to find. Joe Lieberman, he knows just what to do. He voted for the Iraq war, but I bet you would have to. 
So let's go, let's go, Joe. Do it like you did in two. Oh, oh, oh. Well, let's go, let's go, Joe. Do it like you did in two. Oh, oh, oh. And we are back. Believe it or not, what you just heard was an actual campaign song from Joe Lieberman's actual 2004 campaign for the actual office of the presidency. That's all an actual thing that actually happened. Now 2004, you might think, was a little late to be commissioning folk songs for your presidential campaign, right? I guess it depends on who you ask. Not if you ask that guy. I, su I suppose so. And also the whole image that the song tries to create is one that is profoundly perplexing to me. As, as if there's one douche with an acoustic guitar who starts singing about Joe Lieberman, who is really hard at this point not to call Lo Gieberman, because that's what you, Scott, have been calling him for more than ten years now, maybe? Maybe not quite not ten quite years. Not quite ten. Not quite ten years. I don't even know where that came from. But there's one guy with a guitar who starts singing about him and suddenly people start gathering around him because there's momentum. There's Joe-mentum. There's, there's... Remember Joe-mentum? Oh. Yes, yes, I remember the Joe-mentum. But the song is just such ridiculous camp that it's a little hard to believe it was actually commissioned by an actual campaign. And this is why it's in my podcast. It was an official release from the official Joe Lieberman campaign. To get you, the people of Iowa, if there's anyone in Iowa within the sound of my voice in 2004. If there's anyone here in Iowa who could still vote in the 2004 presidential caucus, was it the 2004 Iowa caucus or New Hampshire primary when Joe Lieberman took to the podium after the results were announced and proudly said he was in a three-way tie for third place? Oh, God, I forgot that. Oh, God, I forgot that. That was his way of saying I came in fifth. A three-way tie for third place. People from Connecticut just shouldn't run for president. And the most amazing thing about all this is that Lieberman was running in the Democratic primary. Oh, of course, back in those days. He was still a Democrat back then. Oh, yeah. There's a later verse in that song where it talks about how you should vote for the only candidate who can actually beat George Bush. And then two years later, he spent most of his time filleting George Bush. Politics is weird. Not to mention the fact that he was trying to trade on the strength of his campaign in 2000, which completely wilted. But that's neither here nor there. We are in the year 2016, uh, which for a lot of people has not been a great year thus far. But we are here nonetheless, and we will be here for a while. Now, Scott, there was one talking point, one question that I wanted to hit after we went through the multitudinous, multi-pronged list of people running for president this year. Is there a single one among those 15 people still running who would be preferable to a third Obama administration? Anyone. Maybe Sanders? Of course, it's hard to tell what he'll actually be able to do versus what he says he wants to do. Yeah. I mean, what, what Obama was talking about in 2008 was miles better than what he's actually managed to do in office. So there's certain rhetoric versus reality that it's hard to judge. 
Yeah, exactly. And there's the issue of how much pragmatism, also known as caving in some circles, uh, that, that Sanders would be able to exhibit compared to uh, particularly the, the first Obama administration, which got some things done and got some great things done, but... Did an awful lot of caving. But fell short of what we might have hoped for because of procedural issues and because of the continued existence of Republicans. Not just the continued existence of Republicans. You can blame Republicans for an awful lot, but... This is the sort of thing we don't really want to get back into, but in 2009, Democrats had a solid majority in the House and a super majority in the Senate of 60 Democratic senators. Whatever happened there is not Republicans' fault. It's Ben Nelson's fault, it's Lou Gieberman's fault, it's a couple other people's fault. It is, um, who, who is the... Stupak. It's Stupak's fault. Oh, God. It is not Republicans' fault. Not entirely Republican. I'm not saying Republicans were accommodating. They were still obstructionists. But the Democrats had enough people that they could have overcome that obstruction if all the Democrats had worked together. You can't solely blame Republicans for the failures of 09 and 010. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously some of the Democrats were not up to par. Obviously a lot of them weren't. Some of the ones who have remained in office. But... The vote that I like to point to when people bring up the supposed failures of the Obama presidency, you know, one of the things that they bring up was the promise to close Gitmo. The thing I like to bring up is the actual vote that was held in the actual Senate on that topic during the period of the Democratic super majority, which went, if I recall correctly, and I think I do, 98 to nothing. That is a stunning failure on the part of everybody. On the part of every single person. And I don't remember who the other two were who were, like, visiting their grandkids or whatever. Oh, wait, no. One of them was an empty seat because Al Franken wasn't a senator yet. Because, because And was the uh, other one an empty seat because they hadn't filled Obama's seat yet? Quite possibly. So, yeah. 98 to nothing was the vote in the Senate on closing Gitmo. So... There are lots of reasons for lots of failures, but maybe that's not worth going into a whole lot more right now. Yeah. My, my main point was that I think, as was evidenced by your awkward silence, even among the Democrats who, you know, I'm sure would be fine, which is really the most we can hope for in life right now, there isn't anyone clearly more preferable. Anywho, we have another game to play in this segment. Is it Parcheesi? Yes, this is going to be our Parcheesi podcast, where we play Parcheesi and perform all the uh, Foley sounds, and the listeners, you know, get to follow our game of Parcheesi. I'm excited for this. So, buckle up, listeners. It is going to be a bumpy board. Ah, dang it. Yes! Double word score! So for this segment of the podcast, I am going to temporarily suspend one of the rules that I decided on not five episodes ago, that this podcast on the Police to Be Podcast Network would not have wrestling-focused episodes. 
We're going to make a special exemption in this politics-focused episode because, of course, as mentioned before, WWE Hall of Famer Donald Trump is running for president. And so we would like to see if there are any other WWE Hall of Famers who would be preferable as a candidate or, God, as a president than Mr. Trump. Scott, what have you got? I've given this question great thought. And the more I think about it, the more I believe I have the correct answer. I think it's safe to say that most of the wrestlers that we know of their political beliefs tend to be sort of on the conservative side. Exactly. I mean, there's some people like Mick Foley who are out there doing anti-rape charity work. Yeah, he seems like an okay dude. But there are a lot of people who are just not like insane people like Mike Huckabee or Ted Cruz, but are just sort of on the right hand side which is fine but it's not my personal persuasion so it's not what i would prefer in a candidate or a president the more i think about it my choice of wwe hall of famer if i had to choose one wwe hall of famer to become president i believe i would choose jesse ventura jesse ventura while certifiably insane I believe his insanity, tempered by the Senate and the House and the judiciary, would actually work the best. Like, he believes a whole bunch of crazy conspiracy theories, and he has a lot of whacked out ideas, but he's not going to randomly go to war in foreign countries to prove his manhood. Yeah, I have no idea what his foreign policy would be. I don't really know what his domestic policy would be. I'm not sure what kind of governor he was really in terms of policy. Well, here are, here are things that I feel I can confidently say Jesse Ventura would not support. Randomly sending troops into battle in foreign countries to prove our national manhood. Drone surveillance. Domestic surveillance. NSA, CIA, FISA. Warrantless wiretaps. Keeping every single iota of information we ever collect top secret so that nobody can actually find out what the fuck we're actually connect collecting or what we're doing with it. I can confidently say I don't believe Jesse Ventura would support any of that. Which, so far, I'm completely on board with the Ventura agenda. Yeah, the one thing that I could really point to is that he would be good for governmental transparency. Yes. I, I mean, if, if he's interested in passing any bill through Congress, it, it would be strengthening the Freedom of Information Act. Oh, and, yes. And he would be someone on the side of declassifying a whole lot of things. Declassifying a whole lot of things, Freedom of Information Act. Also, he would probably, I, I would estimate he would be strongly against warrantless surveillance, warrantless wiretapping, all that kind of thing. He would probably jumpstart the space program so that we can go out and find all those secret Mars bases that he believes exist. That would only be a good thing. Yes, if he had been elected in, in the West Wing, he would have been talking about the secret NASA extra shuttle like, <laughs> right after assuming office. Secret military space shuttle that nobody is supposed to know about. Yeah. So, the, the more I think of it, that the more I believe... I mean, of the people whose political agenda I know, and there are, you know, droves and droves of people in the Hall of Fame, I know absolutely nothing about any of their political beliefs. But of the people whose political beliefs I have some knowledge of, the more I think about it, the more I lean toward Ventura. He is certifiably insane and believes a lot of crazy, crazy things, but he would probably lean the right way on a lot of issues. Yeah, otherwise, there have been some wrestlers, 
some Hall of Famers who have sought office. But again, I'm not really sure what their policy prescriptions would have been. I mean, Jerry Lawler ran for mayor of Memphis, but I don't know what he was going to do. Yeah, what would Jerry Lawler's position on going to war in Syria be? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Bob Backlund ran for the House. I'm not sure what his positions were on anything. I'm not sure how relevant they would be even at this point. So I don't I th- know, Schwarzenegger's in the Hall of Fame now, but look at the disaster his term as governor was. Yeah, and yet he's, these days, a moderate Republican, right? <laughs> Comparatively. So, past that... You don't know a whole lot of political beliefs by wrestlers. Ultimate Warrior obviously had a few. Yes. Which, as I said in a column that I wrote shortly after he died, I don't know to what extent he reconsidered anything in his old age. Sometimes people do. But to the extent that I know, he held hatred for a whole lot of people. So I think past that, you have to turn to people's characters a little bit. You know? Uh, the, the, the first one that I think of is, is Dusty Rhodes, because he was really one of the more populist sort of guys, right? He was the son of the plumber, he's the common man, he wants to restore the American dream. If you can extrapolate that he would thus support economic policies that would advantage the common man, a- that ex- would be Exactly, exactly. Is he, is he going to, uh, try to help the common man by strengthening labor unions? Son of a plumber, you've got to have appreciation for union labor. Sure. Otherwise, I'm trying to think of any wrestler who actually took a stand on anything. I mean, there's superstar Billy Graham, who has devoted a lot of time to organ donation, which is certainly a worthy... That's a worthy cause. Yeah, it's absolutely a worthy cause. I'm not sure how it translates to foreign policy or tax policy, but it is a worthy cause. Good for him for doing that. Exactly. Again, there's really no way to extrapolate. Plus, of course, following on from part of our discussion in in the last section, I kind of want to mention all the people who weren't born in the United States. You know, your Andres, (laughs) your Pat Pattersons. Your uh, Carlos Colon. Are these from Puerto Rico? Does that count? I honestly don't know. Maybe we should have done some research for this episode. Yeah, I mean, listeners are going to be yelling at their podcast devices. I, I, I'm also kind of picturing Gorilla Monsoon delivering the State of the Union address. He just turns around to Paul Ryan and says, Will you stop? <laughs> Gorilla Monsoon does have leadership experience. I mean, he, he was WWF president or commissioner or something. He, he was president of the WWF. Someone else who was temporarily uh, president of the WWF was uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, who also was not born in the United States. But damn, you imagine him on the campaign trail? Also, of course, there's all the political subtexts to They Live. <laughs> or not even subtext, maybe. I'm just picturing Roddy Piper bringing a lead pipe to the State of the Union. Yes, when, once he's gotten to the point in his presidency where he has no more elections to win, so he just doesn't have to care anymore. That's the best Piper, really. <laughs> Would Piper ever care? He'd show up to the State of the Union wearing a leather jacket and a kilt. That would be a boss entrance at the State of the Union, too, with the uh, bagpipers in front of him. (laughs) Yes. Although, thinking again about Jerry Lawler for a second, I mean, would it be hard to elect a monarchist? Depends, I suppose. A lot of the uh, right-wing enthusiasm going around right now is nominally populist, and yet it is in strident support of economic policies that benefit only the super, super, super rich. 
So would they rebel at monarchism or would they say, you know, yes, you worked hard and earned that inherited monarchy and the government shouldn't try to take it away from you? Also, of course, there are the scandals that would come out during any such campaign, which might run strong for uh, for any wrestler, but for Roddy Piper, I mean, well, which might run strong for any wrestler, but for Jerry Lawler especially. Well, there's a reason why, if we're trying to name somebody who could lead our nation, there's a reason why we didn't immediately think of the real American. Yeah. Who fights for the right of every man. Yeah, does he, though? He's supposed to. Yeah. Aren't we all supposed that's to? What, that's what we would hope for from any president, right? Fight for the rights of everyone. Fight for what's right. Fight for the life of our nation. That's what you look for in a leader. And then he gets caught on a sex tape using the N-word and all of our illusions come crashing down. And it hurts inside. It would have helped him to hide. Meanwhile, the million dollar man is already running for president. Like, <laughs> like five times over. <laughs> the million dollar man would fit right into the Republican Party. You see, the million dollar man is basically a combination of Donald Trump and Chris Christie, right? No one has that laugh, though. Well, no, no one has to laugh. But he, like, he, he yells at people. He's a rich businessman, and he yells at people. And uh, he wears a glittery silver suit. None of the current candidates do that either. Mm, there's just a dash of the uh, styling and profiling as well. A as one styles and profiles while running for president. There's a bit of Rand Paul, too. In actually being named the Million Dollar Man, it's just a little too on the nose. Sort of like naming your child Rand. Yeah, true, yes. One other confluence of wrestling and politics that I want to hit on quickly before we get the hell out of here is something that can put a smile on my face. You know, when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling dispirited, when I'm feeling there's no hope, I can always think to myself, I am not represented at any level of government by Linda McMahon. Linda McMahon twice ran for open seat Senate seats in the state of Connecticut and twice lost the election. But Senator Richard Blumenthal, who we previously discussed on episode two of this podcast, is up for re-election this year. And while currently there's only one declared candidate in that 2016 Connecticut U.S. Senate race, August Wolf, an investment executive and former Olympic athlete, there are several people who are listed as potential candidates who have expressed interest and may or may not end up running. They are Joe Visconti, a former West Hartford town councilor, Chris Shays, a uh. former U.S. representative from Connecticut, he listens, learns, helps, and leads if, in, in a famous ad he ran in his last campaign cycle. Oh, God. Also listed on this compendium of potential candidates, Larry Kudlow, economist and television personality. Yeah, something else that's just preposterous. And, of course, potential candidate in 2016, according to this list, Linda McMahon, businesswoman and former CEO of WWE, Previous nominee for U.S. Senate in 2010 and 2012. I am convinced that that's just empty speculation. I don't think that Linda is going to throw herself and a boatload of money at an office she is not going to win for a third time. You know, she probably could have been governor. I was surprised she didn't run for governor. 
she probably could have won that. I mean, our governor, our governor is fine. I don't really ha have that much against him. I don't really have that much for him. But his two victories in the last two gubernatorial campaigns were a little soft. They were very, very close, both against the same opponent. Yes. In fact, in the last election, we all thought he lost, remember? It looked like he was losing, he was losing, he was losing, he was losing, and then somehow, in the end, he won. Well, that that's just one of the vagaries of, you know, when different districts count their votes, I guess. But, yeah, that was down to the wire, for sure. And I think with, you know, the little bit of name recognition and... I don't want to say with boatloads of money because the Republican who ran also had boatloads of money, of course. But yeah, I really think she could have won. Plus, she looks just like our last governor. <laughs> she does not look entirely dissimilar from Governor Jody Rowe. For sure. But still, I live in a state that is not represented by Linda McMahon, as indeed no state is. Oh, she didn't, like, try to run in North Dakota or something? No, she, she didn't carpet bag her way to some place she could win. And I am confident that I will continue to live in a place that is not represented by Linda McMahon. And that is something devoutly to be wished. Well, if she couldn't win the open seat race, odds are she's not going to win against incumbent Blumenthal. So, we can all be thankful for that. For sure. So that'll do it for episode number five of the Glenn Butler Podcast, Our Spectacular. I hope you had a good time listening. I don't know when or if we'll be doing another political episode. If there's anyone in Iowa listening to this, remember to get out and vote in your caucus on February 1st if you're supporting the same candidate I am. Otherwise, have a night at home. Have a nice dinner. Go to bed early. Get your rest. It's tiring in Iowa. It's, t it's tiring. It's, it's cold. And that's my political analysis. It's tiring in Iowa. That's not a good slogan for anyone's campaign. Although it is something that Lil Gberman might have used. <laughs> to get him into that three-way tie for third place. Now, to, to play us out, uh, we are going to have a selection from the... Uh, I want to say immortal, but sadly from David Bowie, who of course died recently, in a way that seems altogether too mundane for such a personality. Cancer is, is, is such a boring disease for someone of his pedigree, and yet, here we are. He, he was uh, a person and an artist who of course was not unproblematic, as no one is, but he was at all times a voice in favor of the weird and a voice in favor of transgressing norms. Sexual norms, gender norms, just stepping outside of expectations. And that is a voice that is badly needed in the world and something that I think we can be thankful for. And so we leave on another important message from David Bowie. Good night, everyone. I'm afraid of America. I'm afraid of the world I'm afraid I can't help it I'm afraid I can't I'm afraid of Americans Journalism America Tell me looks up at the stars 
Ramsey's there and Johnny wants being cars. Johnny's in another car. I'm afraid of Americans. I'm afraid of the world. I'm afraid I can't help it. I'm afraid I can. I'm afraid of Americans. I'm afraid of the world. I'm afraid I can't help it. I'm afraid I can. Yeah, I'm afraid of America. 